Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Phantoms of the Silver Screen Podcast, where it's spooky season all day, every day. I'm one of your hosts, Rip, and I am joined by the man who needs no introduction, but I will give it to him anyway, Jumpy. Thank you very much. I said it. (laughs) For your courtesy, it's very kind of you. I would do the same. Hmm. So rude as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we in this lineup? Well, we are bringing you another "Are You Afraid of the Dark" podcast, but not just anyone. This is the season three wrap up, where we go through each episode. And we rank our favorites and tell you which one we like the most and like the least. And everything in between. Yep. And it's weird that we're here already. We're at the end of season three. I don't know what I'm going to do in my life when this is over. 26 episodes. I do know what I'm going to do. And I'm very excited about it. But we're not going to talk about it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. It's another old TV show that no one cares about. (laughs) Except for me. Is it it Firefly? Yeah, Firefly. (laughs) The classic horror (laughs) anthology series. So, Are You Afraid of the Dark Season 3? Where we last left off on Season 2, we were happy because we had Kristen and David. But now, they're not here anymore. They're gone. My number one pick is David. (laughs) (laughs) They are gone. And we're replaced by the teller of the first story in season one, season three, episode one. It's Tucker, Gary's little brother, who uh, I just think they have him there just in case Gary was one foot out the door. Because <laughs> he can't. <laughs> it's Gary's spot. It's Gary's midnight society. If he leaves, then, you know, that's weird. You can't just introduce a new character. So they're like, okay, let's slide Tucker in. And then if Gary leaves for whatever reason, they just have Tucker be the the head of the Midnight Society. He would do a terrible job. All right. People showing up at 3 a.m. and stuff like that. <laughs> he would never keep them in line. Yeah. Because he is much younger than Gary. A little kid. And he is just a little brother. Just devious manipulative touching things he shouldn't touch he's a little brat yeah right it's bothering the crap out of gary he's a knuckle sandwich from frank one of these days <laughs> yes one of these days alice um so, i think we should do something fun here mm-hmm. so we're gonna do the usual mm-hmm. right we're gonna rank all their episodes we're gonna like them up, line them up and tell each other one by one it's fun for us basically because <laughs> i don't know what he's gonna pick I don't know what I'm going to pick until I say it. Just kidding. I have a list. But we should also, at the end of that, I want to do like the most David tale. Like which one's the most David story? Oh, I already know. (laughs) All right. Well, at the end of it, at the end of it, what's the most David story? What's the most Kristen story? And what's the most what's his name story? (laughs) Yeah. Episode 14. Because it doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. 
Tale of the Midnight Ride, Gary reveals to us that Tucker is part of the group and he has to. And everybody's reaction is just like, oh, well, he better tell a good story. And the story he chose is Tale of the Midnight Ride, which is just a modern telling, or at this point, a 90s telling of Sleepy Hollow. And I love, it's a classic, one of my favorite stories. But this episode is just, um, it follows character Ian Matthews, who's just a new dude in the block who just moved into Sleepy Hollow. And he has the hots for a girl named Katie. But Katie is the ex-boyfriend of Brad. And Brad's job is to bully Ian, because he doesn't like what's going on, and challenges him to cross the Headless Horseman Bridge where Ichabod Crane, like, died or, you know, all that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's good. It's It was a it's nice, cool. fun story. We got to see you love a good, You love a good classic yeah. retelling of Sleepy Hollow. They don't come around as often as I thought they would. I think I think like the TV show Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. has killed re, re, like a reimagining of that for a couple years, maybe like twenty more years before we see another one. I would love if I was very good. I would love to get my hands on that story and just tell it. Yeah, if I had writing ability, I would also writing, like to do that. Cinematography, directing everything, and we mm-hmm. I work super hard owner of sleepy hollows ichabob <laughs> crane if you just sell me the rights i'll the f- do it the fun thing about this episode was that we actually do get to meet ichabob crane and everybody does the nice and polite thing and lead him to safety which draws out the wrath of the hellish horseman mm-hmm. who chases everybody and terrorizes them until they meet ichabob crane again and it they stop the headless horseman by Sending the ghost of Echo Bob Crane to his death. Love it. As you do. Yeah. Very good. Echo Bob Crane, I feel no sympathy for him because, and here's your random fact from obscure media that no one's going to understand but me, um, in the Fables comic book, which is the greatest comic series of all time, you guys should go read it one day. It's by Vertigo Comics, I think. Um, Ichabod Crane is like a jerk. He's like a super sexist, you know, <laughs> higher up in the fables community. And he just rules and demeans everyone he works, like who works for him. So I feel zero sympathy for him. Send him away <laughs> just because of that character. That's funny. Yeah. It's talk- also in the Wolf Among Us video game, which is based off the fable series. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. Season two coming soon. So, I guess they're just trying to make the headless horseman a hero, the protagonist, the true angel of the series. He is a true knight without a head, a headless knight. Yes. So, that was... he doesn't show up in fables at all. That'd be a really cool. That'd have been a really cool character. Anyway, yeah. So next episode episode two we are promised betty ann's friend sam is going to tell us a story 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's excited. But it's not this episode. It's going to be the next one. Damn. So, episode two, Tale of Apartment 24, is told by Kiki. And this one is about a girl named Stacy. Her and her mother moved into a new apartment. But not apartment 214. No, I'm um, 24. It's not apartment 24. It's not apartment 214 either, for that matter. Actually, whoops, I did that wrong. It is 214. I don't know why I wrote apartment 24. <laughs> <laughs> so Nobody knows where they live, all right? <laughs> uh, apartment 214, but that's not where they moved into. No, they moved in next to it, apartment 213. and So far away from apartment 24, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Apartment 214 is housed by a woman named Madeline, an old woman who is alone and she befriends Stacy. But one day, when Stacy. It's, uh, it's revealed to us. Are we going to rehab the whole episode? The whole thing. But like, Stacy hangs out with her a lot. One day she's supposed to hang out with her, but instead she hangs out with Angela. Which is another of girl. course she does, and that's when we find out that uh, Madeline wanted to spend time with Stacy on that day that she got ditched because that was the day Madeline died. It was the anniversary of her death. Yes, she's a ghost, and mm-hmm. because Stacy did not show up that day, Madeline... some would call her a lonely ghost. <laughs> Get it? Because yeah, cool. the title was taken. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so the rest of the episode is Stacy running from the wrath of Madeline until she gathers the courage to talk to her one on one, and they work something out, and that is to move into apartment two fourteen, and for the rest of her life, she is spending time with Madeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh that was weird. That was a weird way to do that, but oh well. <laughs> I thought it was good. I thought it was good. The next one, guys. This is all you jumpy. <laughs> and everyone else in between. Is the tale of the watchers woods. Alright? Ain't gonna give you the rundown, but It was a spectacular episode (laughs) (laughs) because it had special guest star from Firefly fame, Jewel Beatty, I think that's how you pronounce it. Not sure who plays Kelly in the episode, Um, pretty much the bully. Mm -hmm. Uh, She plays the fun mechanic girl in Firefly, whose name I should remember in the at least the character, but I I don't because <laughs> it's been a, a lot of years and I have to rewatch it. But she was great on that show, and she was great in this episode. And off, obviously, it brought us the iconic weirdo in the woods. Yes, and this is Sam. who had nothing to do with the story. Everybody, <laughs> he was just there. They could have done the whole thing without him. Yes. It still drives me crazy to this day. And he didn't have to be so extra. He which, didn't. Which he was. Has to talk. 
I'll just tell you what happened in that episode in his voice. Don't worry about it. So Sam. <laughs> it would be horrible. So this we get the introduction of Sam, who turns out to be a female. Everybody's excited. Because mm-hmm. um, they thought it was going to be a male. Because Sam, really, just to throw you off. But can you, can you imagine being in a group of friends? And Sam shows up and tells a story, and she uses that voice. And you just see Sam doing it. Pay. <laughs> just like Sam. No, you're embarrassing. Yes, I, I. Man, see if they had DVDs at that time, that my extra content would be the characters telling the story. That would be cool. Like the whole thing. Yeah, yeah I would love that. Top to bottom. I'd listen to a podcast about that. Yeah. They just slapped it on like a podcast. I, I would listen to it. We should create an ulterior, like an alternate <laughs> podcast where we just pretend to be characters from the Midnight Society and tell the whole story. First episode is season three, episode three. And that's it. Just, just start from there. Yeah. Uh, but yes. And we do what we do all the stage direction and everything. Yes. Entering the stage left. So, we the we are told the story by Sam, mm-hmm. who narrates to introduce us to Sarah, who's the main character. She's going to a sleepaway camp for the summer, mm-hmm. and she tries to make friends with some girls, but she instantly gets on the bad side of this bratty Rugrats Angelica type character named Kelly. And what I liked about this is that Sarah was, like, not falling for it. She knew Kelly was a bitch, and she was super, like, like I'm just going to make the best of the situation. That's it. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to be snooty or talk back. But it gets to the point where <laughs> they... They get paired up, and at this point, Sarah's not taking shit from Kelly. So I like that. Mm-hmm. But everything, everything you're hearing right now, B plot, A plot, <laughs> the Watcher, the weirdo in the woods. Go on with so, the B plot. So the urban legend is three girls disappeared back in like the '60s or whatever, or the '20s. I don't forget. But they one of those. Oh, it's a seven. Oh, nineteen nineteen. There you go. Nineteen nine. We. How did you forget that? It's yeah. a great year. Yes, it was. Um. And the they they were never seen again. They went to on the trail, and when they looked for them, uh, all they found was their whistles. So, uh, the urban legend came. That's the Watcher's Woods. You stay in. You stay away from that. If not, you get lost forever. So what do Kelly and Sarah do? Well, they argue. Kelly tries to be, um, pretend to be nice to ditch Sarah, but gets lost in the Watcher's Woods. Sarah immediately figures it out. And she's like, okay, well, I got to get Kelly out of this situation. And do they get caught by the Watcher's Woods? No. They get caught by the three <laughs> girls who still think that it's 1919. And they're trying to get their badges, all that stuff. They're stuck in the Watcher's Woods. Does does anyone, even the hags, mention the weirdo Watcher in the Woods? 
I yes they do. They do? Yeah. They call him like the entity. Yeah, like he says no, he they call him the watcher. Like but he says to them that if they get their whistles, they can go free. But obviously this dude already knew that the when they when they had a search party for the girls, they only they found their whistles, so pretty much keeping there for all eternity. And they're about to kill Kelly. <laughs> Sarah goes, finds the whistles, comes back, and loses one of the whistles in a tub full of rats. And Kelly has to face her fear of rats to get the whistle to save Sarah's life. So now they're friends, bonded through trauma and terror. The hags were really well done in that, because, like... They reminded me a lot of the Skyrim hags. <laughs> and that's just nice, you know. Yeah. Fills me with fuzzy warm memories. Fun fact, this is one of the first hags. episodes where on a Nickelodeon show somebody pulls out a cigarette and is about to smoke it. I'll leave and you it... to guess who that character was. Even though you already know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our introduction to Sam. But now we come back to Tucker for episode four, Tale of the Phone Police, which is pulled straight out of a Doctor Who episode that Tucker was forced to watch by Gary. <laughs> well, you ever get a random call from like a telemarketer or somebody claiming that they um that your computer is down or your bank account is weird? And you need to transfer money to them to help you out? Well, no, because I have Phone Block, our new sponsor, everyone. <laughs> phone Block. I wish that was true. Yeah. Well, back in the 90s, kids used to do this. They used to call each call random houses and prank call. Yeah, I don't know if people still do that now, but. They could, but most people, because of robocalls, just ignore numbers they don't know. Yeah. And sometimes, like, there's caller ID, and sometimes your phone will be like, here's a number. Maybe it's this person. And you're like, okay, I don't know that person. So weird that you're telling me that. <laughs> Seems like an invasion of privacy. So, Jake O'Brien and Chris are making pr- f- prank phone calls, and they get caught by Jake's sister, Annie. And you know, we never rewatched the episode to figure out why she poured green liquid into a cup and then just poured it down the sink. That's why this episode <laughs> is top tier. All right. The mystery. <laughs> what was she up to in the background? There's an entire back plot. Again, the main plot, B plot. All right. <laughs> Real story is what's going on with that liquid. Yes. Yes. So. Boogie goo. So Annie. Tells the story mm. of the phone police. This world, they'll find you for making prank phone calls and arrest you, just like they got Billy Baxter. Well, mm-hmm. not following f- for any of Annie's pranks, Jake decides to call Billy Baxter. He asks for help. Jake goes to find Billy Baxter, but ends up in um taking his place. Not even just arrested, just. He finds in the hearts of the prank police. Like the number had like six, six digits, right? And then he's like, yo, they, this, 
this number has six digits. And then the lady, the receptionist is like, oh, you called this number? Well, you better go downstairs. <laughs> and then that's where he gets arrested. And it's up to Chris to, for some reason, break because out this random kid. His from- friend Chris, like, remembers him. And no one else does, not even <laughs> his own family. For reasons that are never explained. Yes, All right? out of existence. Because of some magic. Maybe that green liquid was just <laughs> like a forget-me-all. And she slipped it to herself and the whole family so she could forget her brother. Yeah. I gotta know what it is. But Chris outsmarts the phone police, breaks Jake out of prison, and runs back home to Jake's home where Annie remembers everything for whatever reason. And then they thought, maybe we just dreamt it all. But they didn't. Because outside, we the audience see that a random pizza delivery person was actually a phone police. The end. The tale that is coming up next is the tale of the doll doll maker. Sorry. I was going to say doll mocker because of something else. Don't worry about it. The doll maker. And this one aggravated me. It was Betty Ann. It was Betty Ann. Betty Ann's first story of the season. Mm-hmm. Finally. Gosh, this this season was so dry on Betty Ann's stories, am I right? <laughs> so we get Melissa, the protagonist. And she... Melissa Joan Hart? Nope. Dang it. <laughs> Just Melissa. She's there. She's Going to the country to visit her Aunt Sally and Uncle Pete. Coming from the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually she hangs out with her friend Susan. But Susan disappeared. And they try to hide it from from Melissa. They just told her that like, you know, they, Susan and her family moved back to the city months ago. But when Susan sees something going on at the house where Melissa used to live, um, where Mel- when Melissa sees something lurking about um, in Susan's old house, she decides to go in to see what's going on. And she finds a house, a little dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. She's having dreams about Susan calling for help. Something, and then that's when her grand, uh, her aunt and uncle tell her Susan didn't move back with her parents. She actually disappeared, and no one can find her. And with the aunt Sally and Uncle Pete just hang around just in case Susan decides to come back. That's pretty sad. Yeah, Melissa. It, something's not right. Something's still not clicking with the story. So she goes to the other house to investigate. And it almost costs her her life because she's walking to a pathway. And then her Uncle Pete grabs her and is like, dude, look, it's a window <laughs> into the outside. You're You're going to die. Narnia. But Melissa still keeps having dreams about Susan. She can't take it. Something's up. She goes in 
and she realizes that she's transported into the dollhouse that's sitting in the middle of the room and she finds Susan who is slowly turning into a doll creepy yeah so through no help from Susan (laughs) she figures everything out that she has to go up in the attic and jump out the window that she almost fell out of in the real house to save Susan and herself before she becomes a doll and she does and everybody lives happily ever after. The end. The end. So the doll imagery was pretty cool. The fact that her hands could come off and all that. That was creepy. In this episode, I remember a line in particular around the campfire. Because somebody warned Sam. I think it was Gary. He's Gary like leans at Sam. And Gary's like, look. You never heard of Betty Ann original before. But this chick tells weird ass stories okay get ready tucker Tucker, was tucker said that no gary said that to tucker are you sure yeah because he's like what a coward because he he comes like running in he's all excited he trips and sam's like everything okay and he's like i'm excited because betty ann's up tonight and gary says that uh betty ann tells very good and weird stories and then betty ann pulls out a doll and then tucker just sits back and pulls a puts his cap over his face to fall asleep because no story with a doll is going to be scary. Tucker needs a slap in the face <laughs> for being rude to Betty Ann. Yes. But then I need to remember which episode is the one where Betty Ann was just a ghost. You know, you couldn't find her anywhere. <laughs> Damn, that's a good one. I forget. I can't remember which one it was. But it's haunting that she's not there. It's like she's in the woods watching <laughs> with the watcher. Hey, Betty Ann. Uh, <laughs> no, it's you? more like, oh, Betty Ann, no, please. <laughs> get away. Then we go to the tale of the bookish babysitter. Yeah. Which is, surprise, surprise, another Betty Ann tale. Back-to-back Bettys. Nice. And this one is about... A babysitter with a hundred percent success rate doesn't matter how bad or naughty your kids are, Belinda will get them in line. And she gets the most not, <laughs> not only can she get kids in line, but she can also get crotchety fifty year old divorcees in line because that's what she had to deal with. <laughs> with Ricky. Ricky the man child (laughs) Ricky or the child man Hmm? Ricky is a 12 year old boy who looks and act like a 40 year old man in his case the phrase age is just a number is true because he is not 12 (laughs) he is 55 and aging quickly so Belinda it's like, okay, I'm going to get Ricky to read a book. Everybody laughs in her face, but she just smiles. And Ricky reads five pages of one book, finds a, not even, it was like five sentences, gets yeah. bored, goes to another book, gets bored, goes to another book, gets bored, and he just calls it a day. 
But little did he know that because he read the words aloud from Belinda's books, his house turns, starts bringing these characters to life. And he's running for his, for his life. And he runs to Belinda and Belinda's like, yeah, well, I'm a witch. These are my magic books. And because you read three stories at once, you have to live three plots. And every plot has a villain. So you just evoke the wrath of three villains. <laughs> so, Idiot boy. That's what you get for reading. <laughs> so he has to deal with a witch, a knight that's trying to kill him, and a ghost. So Belinda tells him the only way to do this is to, you know, figure out an ending. He has to come up mm-hmm. with the ending himself. He tries to do the smart thing. Was it's like, okay, well, I think I uh, my ending is I find a machine gun and I shoot everybody and they all leave me alone. Eh, eh. Not in Belinda's he's America. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Belinda's like, you have to go with the like the themes of the story. This is like, what are the themes? Medi- medieval, right? So go in that direction. So he figures out that he gets transported he mm-hmm. fights the witch um gets the knight to to kneel i mean gets the knight to respect him and realize that he's the chosen one to protect the king and it turns out that the ghost that's been haunting him was actually the king so and once he returns the sword that he finds to the king all is right and we just cut to him reading the end of the book and he didn't realize that he was reading because he was in the book. And no one was more surprised than Mrs. Winter, who had just come back from buying a pack of cigarettes for Ricky. Mm-hmm. And Dad's not back yet. <laughs> and Belinda is just like, eh, anytime. And she still walks away with her 100% success rate. The end. The good witch who only wants to do a really good job babysitting. <laughs> Little did Ricky know she stole 30% of his soul that day. Because <laughs> witches always have an ulterior motive and it's usually stealing souls. That's how she keeps young. Yeah. From his terror. Just like, just like Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> Little did she know Ricky's the wrong kid to mess with. She stole his soul and got older. <laughs> like, oh, no. 20 years. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why am I breathing hard? <laughs> what do what what the soles of my feet hurt? Why am I breathing harder? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. I, I don't want to watch the game, but I kind of do. <laughs> yeah. So, next episode. Right. Episode 7, Tale of the Carved Stone. Mm. And this is a Gary episode. The Gary. <laughs> and of course, it's Gary, so we got Sado. And he is a merchant, as always. Pretty much all you need to know about the episode, Sado showed up. Number one, am I right, everybody? <laughs> so he sells um, a carved stone, mm-hmm. promising friendship to the main character of our story Alice and mm-hmm. Denny who just moved into the neighborhood and she pretty much got uh, 
called out by some of the popular people in her neighborhood because she called them back um, to give them back a pair of joke glasses that one of the popular guys dropped. And it it was so obnoxious that the characters simply credited as the rude girl. But Rude Girl, you be on my mind. Unbeknownst to Allison and Sado, the carved mm-hmm. stone is actually a powerful stone that is being hunted, searched for by Brother Septimus. A Brother Septimus is a highlight. That guy's character is very unique. Yes. And he, he is overpowered. Man has a million different powers. Yes. But he still craves more. He wants the carved stone. But what does the carved stone do? Well, Allison figures out that she can travel back in time with it. Mm-hmm. And Brother Septimus is a, is a being from many different dimensions, I guess. I don't know. Like, he's wanted and hunted for crimes throughout all of time. But he is truly evil. And he wants a stone. But Alice and Danny went back in time. And she meets a boy named uh, TJ. TJB. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he has a very, you know, like Stuart Little, like the little boy from Stuart Little. He's he has that vibe. He's he's like that guy. <laughs> you know the one if you watch Stuart Little, the one about he... a family who adopts a rat. Yes. This man wears overalls writes in his book by candlelight because he's in the past mm-hmm. and he has a slingshot which he uses to defeat brother Septimus later <laughs> so through being hunted by brother Septimus um, and Sado doing his best to like <laughs> betray everybody because Sado was like, oh, if we can go back in time, can you imagine what we could do with this? You know how much money we can make? But Allison does the right thing. This power can't be in the hands of Brother Septimus. should be in the hands of nobody. So she, she takes TJB, Thomas and Jefferson Bradshaw, to the yeah. future. They fight Brother Septimus, they run away, they go back to the past, but then they figure out through some weird way, using the slingshot, that Allison was able to go back to her present time, Mm -hmm. TJB go back to to his time, and Brother Septimus gets trapped in the alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. Just like the bad guys from the old Christopher Reeves Superman 2 movie or something like the that. The Phantom Zone. Yes. And I bring up DC characters because Brother Septimus was portrayed by the late great Frank Gorshin. 
who played the Riddler on the 1966 version of Batman with Adam West. Hmm. And I was just happy to see him. God, that guy got some work yeah. in you know his later life. Yeah. So, this is cool. But he gets yeah. stuck in the Phantom Zone um, with him screaming in pain. So it's assumed that he dies. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Allison and Tom become friends. And it's made clear because when she first moved into the house... I had a note that says TJB was here, but then after all this happened, there's a new marking that says Allison and Tom friends forever. So she did get a friend after all. Mm-hmm. Maybe the stone yep. did work. And he shows up as an old man. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, because this is like 18 something. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then we move on to a Tucker story. Boo. Tale of the Guardian's Curse. I feel about Tucker the same way I felt about Eric. <laughs> Getting there. <laughs> so, Danny Cooksey, with who Budnick from Salute Your Shorts, or more famously known as Stoop Kid from Hey Arnold. Mm-hmm. That's his iconic role. Yeah. He is. A character in this episode. He is the son of a bitch. <laughs> of Professor James Duggan. A a help me out here. Egyptologist. He works in a museum. He studies yep. ancient artifacts from the region yep. of Egypt. He, he went to university. He studied Egyptology. And then he acquired the only job that ever existed for that job. For that that degree and everyone else had to go back to teaching <laughs> so it's a pyramid scheme <laughs> get it so he professor james duggan works for this museum and just as about he's just as he's about to take his kids cleo and josh who's played by danny cooksey to a skiing trip they find a secret tomb or a sarcophagus for... Sarcophagi, if there's plural. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Sarcophagus, sarcophagus, sarcophagus. I did it. <laughs> Don't count. That's been hidden in the museum behind a false wall for decades. So they have to, have to, have to check this out. And they explain that this tomb was broken into and robbed in 1921. And the sarcophagus contains the mummified and preserved body of Mina the Guardian. Mina is an ancient Egyptian goddess, and she used the Ring of Eternity to bring forth life from the earth every spring. And. It's supposed Just to like Persephone. Yeah. And it's from supposed to be. And later on, they find out that she it was the ring of eternity, is uh, was also accompanied by the elixir of life. The ring brings eternity. The elixir brings life. And lucky for everybody, Josh and Cleo find the elixir of life and ring of eternity. And as they're about to show their father, because they're very disappointed that 
They can't go on this trip. They actually spilled the elixir of life onto this mummy. So, hmm. so that mummy's been walking around. They go back to their house to tell their dad, but the dad's gone. He went back to the museum. But this is after they find out that someone or something had broken into their house and trashed the place. Luckily, their dad wasn't there. So they go back to the museum to warn their father. Something's not right. Some Something with them, this mummy isn't bringing anything because the mummy was gone at some point in this episode. <laughs> so they finally find their father who was sleep, sleeping on a stack of plywood or uh, crates or whatever. And... <laughs> Surprised he wasn't in a sarcophagus. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, what are you napping there for? And he's like, oh, fuck, I wasn't napping. Shit. Like, I walked into a museum. Next thing I know, I woke up here. But it turns out that uh, their father's best friend and partner through thick and thin was actually looking for the elixir of life and ring of eternity for himself because he wants to be immortal and he's been using the dad the entire time to betray him his master plan (laughs) yeah so at this point everybody figures out that if he used the ring of eternity um it makes you live forever or Mm -hmm. it makes you eternal but turns you into a statue that's how you are immortalized and they give that and they trick dr capo smith into putting on the ring of eternity and he turns into this statue and they laugh at him but what about the mummy you ask well the mummy's there and the mummy shows up and that's when josh realizes that he can if he gives the elixir of life and the ring of eternity to the mummy well he could have a new mommy yep and he does because his dad immediately falls in love with this uh mina and mm-hmm. mina mina's not turning him down she's looking at him up and down too and she's like hey and there's no culture shock everyone's good she has modern values and there was nothing wrong with the whole situation they ended the whole episode. Perfect. Just kidding. She went home, did a ritualistic sacrifice to their cat, and they broke up. <laughs> but the dad did still try. Mm-hmm. He did his best. <laughs> and then we get another Betty Ann tale. Tale of the Curious Camera. Can't get enough of this Betty Ann. She's just everywhere. I love it. I love it. Tale of the Curious Camera. We mm-hmm. have a returning character f- precisely from episode two. Tale of Laughing in the Dark. We get Josh, who's now being called Colbeck. If you listen yeah, which to- is Josh's last name. <laughs> and if you listen to our podcast, Colbeck. As Jumpy pointed out, it's, it's just, a callback. 
is <laughs> yes, it's a callback because this is the same guy. But he's still an asshole. But he's not the main character. He's just a bully. What we got is the main character is Matt Dorney, who later becomes uh, fuck. What was the name? Smith. Smith. Smitty. Smitty. Yeah. No, no. I made that up, but I like it. No, not Schmidt. I'm thinking that's a new girl. Um, <laughs> Finch. Finch from American Pie. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, he gets bullied. He gets nice forced Canadian. to... Hmm? Huh? He's Canadian, right? Yeah, I guess. I feel like everybody's hmm. Canadian. We're Canadian. Everyone who matters is Canadian. <laughs> so, Matt get bullied by the basketball team which he's part of but it they don't tell you but it's kind of hinted at that he's not part of the team part of the team he's on the sides providing refreshments or whatever the team needs doesn't mean he's part of the team though because they treat him like crap so Matt takes a school picture for the basketball team covered in ketchup because he was bullied that way. And when he gets his pictures back, pictures are empty. There's nobody there. It's like he was not there. So he goes to complain to the photographer. And the photographer is like, yeah, you, the camera just pretty much told told you that you're nothing. All right. Let me guess. You get picked on a lot. You get no respect. Might as well just not be there at all, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's kind of too far, but you're right. He's like, well, let me let me help you out. And he pulls out a triple lock safe, and he gives this kid camera the camera. And before Matt leaves, this guy is like, hmm, maybe I... Maybe I shouldn't give him the camera. But he's like, nah, you're fine. You're good. <laughs> so Matt does the first thing you're supposed to do with the camera is take pictures. Now, every time he takes a picture, when the when the photo develops, because it's like one of those Polaroid cameras, which are still relevant today, so we don't have to explain that. <laughs> yeah, they're coming back. When he takes that picture, mm-hmm. he sees... An incident happened. He takes a picture of a vase, and when the picture develops, the vase is broken, and he looks up, and the vase is broken. So, this thing is predicting the future, but an evil future, right? Menacing. But then, upon further inspection by... Well, he uses the camera for evil first, right? He's <laughs> Knowing this information that disaster strikes... He uses this to get back at his bully and take pictures mm-hmm. of him. And the picture turns out to be correct, which was uh, Colback getting his leg broken. And he picks this fight with Colback. <laughs> he takes his picture and just freaking insults him. But Colback breaks his leg. And we get. Breaks his own leg. <laughs> well, a locker falls on his leg. Yeah. Because I may have came across as Colbeck takes the kid's leg and actually breaks. <laughs> so, 
Matt does the only thing you you could do in this and becomes Light Yagami from Death Note and makes a list of all the people who wronged him. And he's like, I'm going to take a picture. Which We've all done it. <laughs> which is like serial killer shit, but whatever. You know, you're supposed to feel sorry for this kid. He's getting back at his bullies. Yeah, it's him. It wouldn't fly today. He accidentally takes a picture of his sister. Chandelier falls on her. He saves her life. So we know at this point that you can prevent disaster from happening. But he was there at the nick of time. So they start examining the pictures. And they realize that there's something in those pictures. Like a little black gremlin looking thing. So that throws him off. His only thing that he can do is run back to this guy that gave him the camera. He does. And this dude is like a millionaire now. The curse of the camera is off of him. It's on Matt now. And he doesn't care. Screw him. So I was like, okay, fine. Matt has to figure this out. And of course, he takes a picture of his parents. So he has a time limit now. But he figures it out. All is well. Hmm. The the gremlins transfer into a camera, into a, a video camera, and it destroys itself with me through mirrors and the power of everything like that reflection so um but unbeknownst to them the gremlins end up in the commu- computer leaving room for a sequel that never happens the end so far we haven't seen all the seasons exactly The Tale of the Dream Girl, said by Sam. And this is Sam's pretty good. This is a nice. I like your stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a nice story. This is cute. This is cute. This is about a man named Johnny. Mm. He is hanging out. He works at a bowling alley with his sister Erica. Now, Johnny finds a ring in a, in his locker, puts it on. And he starts having dreams about this girl who's calling to him. And he tells this to Erica, kind of laughs at him. But Mm -hmm. Johnny keeps having these visions of Donna in real life. So eventually he gets a note to meet Donna at the bowling alley at 12 a.m. He goes. And it's hinted that the people who work at the bowling alley at this time have to work there for the rest of their life or forever. So he dances with Donna, but before they can, you know, before he can find out everything about her and she's cryptic, like he should know her, all that stuff. Um, She runs out of time and they have to go. So something's not right here. He's never met this girl. He doesn't has no recollection of her. She knows him. And we get excited because this might be a succubus story. You get the ring. You put it on. And this woman appears and she's trying to take you to the afterlife. That sucks. (laughs) 
But Erica tells Johnny, oh, did Donna look like this? And he she shows him an article about a Donna who died getting out of a car and getting hit by a train. So Johnny freaks out. He's like, what the fuck is going on? And in a heartbreaking scene, he tells Donna to stay away from him. He never doesn't want anything to do with her. And the ring goes off. And she's like, fine, if you have if you want anything to do with me, then that's it. But curiosity still gets the better of him. He goes to the cemetery. And he trips over her grave because they were looking for it. And at this point, Erica just tells him off. She's like, why the fuck did you trip over her grave, huh? How'd you know, huh? Tell me what happened that night. Tell me. Donna was at the tracks. And then that's when it's revealed that she was not at the tracks alone. She was with Johnny. She went back because the, the ring Johnny gave her was still in the car. And Johnny went to go stop her, but it was too late, and they both got hit by the train. Very haunting tale. Mm-hmm. And Donna comes back, and they rightfully go to the afterlife together. Not before revealing to Johnny that their graves are buried next to each other, together, always. And, you know, you get the heartbreaking scene about Erica. (laughs) And then I awkwardly go to the next story, Tale of Quicksilver. (laughs) This one was cool. The The Quicksilver? Yeah, this one was Kiki's story. And it starred Tatiana Ali putting in double work playing two characters twin sisters and tatiana Oof. lee is from i mean those special effects were pretty good <laughs> I, th- I think she might have a twin <laughs> so tatiana lee is from the f- uh the fame fresh of prince of bel-air fame and she plays her twin sister uh, plays laura turner a sick girl who accidentally summons a demon and tries to fight it, but the the demon takes her to the afterlife called the creature of darkness. A uh, couple months later, Frank's twin brother or Frank's brother Aaron uh, plays a guy named Aaron, and mm-hmm. he has his brother Dougie. They start experiencing weird things going around the house. They start thinking it's haunted, but not only do they does um Aaron experience this in school he experiences I mean at the house he experiences this in school and he has a dream about a girl trying to pretty much the opening scene of the girl of Tatiana Lee playing Laura Turner (laughs) trying to fight this demon and Laura looks a lot like his classmate Connie so he thinks it's Connie so he confronts her about it and she reveals that um Laura's her twin sister and mm-hmm. she got very sick she was trying to fight this demon and uh 
she uh, she doesn't know what happened and no one believed her that there was a demon in the house but Aaron is right there to confirm there's a de- demon in the house it does exist and his little brother Dougie is sick ever since they moved in so it's only a matter of time luckily, luckily for them their mother kept Connie's witchcraft books occult books that knew how to stop the demon and they use it to to fight the demon uh laura had warned aaron in the dream that she did the spell wrong and as they're trying to figure out dougie gets captured so they redo everything from top to bottom and they realize that she used a spoon as silver because the recipe called for silver but actually its spoon is made out of steel luckily for everybody Aaron had a necklace made of steel from his grandfather, who was a pilot. And he used that, defeated the demon. Connie and Laura are reunited. Laura decides to stay back and protect the house. And Dougie's comes back safe and sound. The end. <laughs> Next. One. And now we have the Crimson Cloud. Yes. The tale of a crimson clown. Next, the dangerous. <laughs> yeah, tale of the crimson clown is just um, it's told by Gary. Stars a boy named Sam and his brother Mike, and Sam's a real brat. Um. He he steals like Mike goes to go get them a present for their mother. Sam steals the money, uses it to buy a video game. They're screwed. So when he gets home, they get home late, and the mother yells at him. And Sam uses blames it on Mike for pretty much just by lying to him and telling like lying to the mother and t- saying that Mike decided to stay back and uh hang out with friends, knowing very well that Mike wasn't going to reveal that they were shopping for a gift for her. Although he should have. <laughs> um, but he's the perfect, ideal big brother, and Gary is telling this story, so he's kind of projecting a little bit, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. But he tells... Um, but Mike tells Sam that the Crimson Clown's going to get him, not Santa mm-hmm. Claus. He's like, oh, is Santa Claus going to put me on the naughty list? He's like, no, the Crimson Clown's going to come and punish you. And that's exactly what happens. The mm-hmm. Crimson Clown starts slow by just revealing to him by the end of the corner of his eye. And then it makes its presence known more and more. Just showing up to the point where he starts talking smack to Sam. Sam says, he's like, I'm sorry for whatever I did. And the Crimson Clown's like, no, you're not. You're just saying this because you're in danger. And then eventually, through much more psychological torture and terror, Sam finally learns his lesson, understands that he'll never be a bad kid, that he should never be a bad kid, and everything he did was wrong. So the Crimson Clown gives him a second chance and undoes his naughtiness. Puts him in a dimension or a or a timeline where they actually did buy the present for their mother. He didn't spin on the video game, 
and all is well for now. And now we conclude <laughs> with the tale of the dangerous soup. Mm-hmm. Told by Frank. The only fucking story Frank says this entire season. Surprisingly, but he made it a good one. Yeah. And can't have a Frank tale without Dr. Vink. Well, you can't. <laughs> but we got Dr. Vink, who owns his popular restaurant, and he is selling soup. But it turns out he's has a weird statue that can come to life, and he's using the statue to bring out the the wor- worst fear out of his what his workers his employees mm-hmm. and he traps them in a room brings out their worst fear and their worst and as they're getting scared the room provides the essence of fear and that's like into like little green droplets and that's what he uses in his soup that's why it's a dangerous soup so obviously we get two co-workers uh Reed and Nev Campbell and Mm -hmm. they try to stop him but they accidentally let out the the gargoyle statue and Dr. Vinkel runs out to go get him because he's like look even though I'm what I'm doing is evil that statue is evil and I was actually containing it if because you let him loose he's gonna do what he does in my room to the entire world so so he runs out to go get it unfortunately for Reed and Nev Campbell the uh, the statue didn't leave and it just uses the entire restaurant to terrorize them until and Nev Campbell gets locked in a room and he's and Reed is like you gotta face your fears and then she's like you don't understand the room is my fear I'm afraid of tight, closed spaces. And he's like, fuck. So it's hinted at in this episode <laughs> that Reed um, had a troubled childhood where he had an uncle who abused him. And he, the statue brings out the f- his f- biggest fear, which is his uncle in a casket coming to life to, uh, I don't know, to do whatever the mm-hmm. uncle did. But Reed faces the fears and confronts his uncle. And it's hinted at that he may have caused his death. But who are we to judge? So he runs into the room with Nev Campbell. They face their fears. The statue's back in the room. All is well. But Dr. Vink is like, oh, you guys ain't going anywhere. You guys know my secret. You're about to produce the best tasting soup for years to come the end mm-hmm. <sighs> and that's all the episodes yep we have recapped all the episodes in the recap if you're only listening to this i guess you yeah i guess you only have to listen to this because we recapped all the episodes anyway <laughs> so there you go there it is that's funny we got all the episodes. <laughs> so now it's time for the real stuff. Yeah, baby. It is time for 
our least favorite, two favorite episodes each. We have compiled a list, each of us, and we do not know what each other chose. We were revealing it to each other and judging each other's taste instantaneously as we go along. Yes. And then at the end, we're going to choose the most, you know, honorable awards. We're going to give an award for the most David tale, the most Kristen tale, and the most Eric tale. (laughs) Maybe. Nah. No Eric. (laughs) No Eric. All right. So number 13. What was your number 13, Jumpy? My number 13 is the tale of the Guardian's Curse. Mm. How come? Because I can never remember what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up three times already in the duration of that recap within a recap, and I can't remember what it's about still. I keep forgetting. (laughs) It's about a mummy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the Egypt. I forget every time. I guess... um, Horror stories about Egypt, other than the 1998 classic, The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Nice. Don't interest me. <laughs> Unless it's that quality, which, you know, I acknowledge that it's unfair to judge anything by that because it's too perfect. But unless it meets up to that quality, I don't like it. Gotcha. <laughs> Just put everything involving mummies on a high pedestal. Gotcha. I do. It's not my fault. I blame Brendan. <laughs> Hollywood playing Brendan too. Ah, sad. Maybe <laughs> sad. He's coming back. Yeah, he is. Not even Hollywood. It's just like crazy legal stuff with his family. Yeah. My number thirteen was the tale of the carved stone. Ooh, you don't like time travel stories, huh? Sick of seeing them. <laughs> I just, I just couldn't get into it. In fact, I felt like the ending I came up with, where um, the time where thomas jefferson bradshaw was from should have been the time where brother septimus was from and he gets stuck in that timeline and has to face all his his uh punishment but just because i like whatever ending i came up better doesn't mean that should be the bottom of the list it was just a lot of back and forth i had sado and i felt like it could have been more of a more powerful episode I can understand that. I mean, they also could have played around with time travel more. I mean, you have infinite possibilities there. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson Bradshaw could have been Brother Septimus the whole time. Yeah, yeah, that would have been, that would cool. have been crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but no, they didn't do that. So okay, what was your twelve? The tale of the phone police. Mm. Okay. Oh, I like all the episodes in this season pretty much. That's but... true. The this tale of the phone police is, you know, other than the Egyptology one where I just have a personal bias, <laughs> that one's just, you know, it's not scary. It's goofy. It's cool. I appreciate the sci-fi horror mm-hmm. that it brought, but it's just so goofy. Yeah, it was a really out there tale. I did like the it, fact that, like, he came back, Chris went back to the house, and Annie's mm-hmm. like, I don't have a brother. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, he just got erased from society. But it felt, it felt, it just felt like, a, like oh, don't like a public uh, service amount announcement. Don't prank call. It's bad for you. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm tired of these damn kids. <laughs> and we run a children's television show, to try and scare them. Yeah. But they kind of got lost in the whole 
goal of the episode and forgot to make it scary. Mm-hmm. All right. My number 12 was Tale of the Doll Maker. Okay. Yeah. Dolls don't scare you, huh? I just, I don't know. With the, the title, Tale of the Doll Maker, I had high hopes for it. And it, there was not even a doll maker. It was a doll house. They just mm-hmm. called it the Tale of the Doll House or something crazy. Something more creative, but doll maker, you know, that just kind of brought up my hopes and smashed it into pieces. I agree with you because my number 11 pick is Tale of the Doll Maker. Oh, my number 11 pick is Tale of the Phone Police. Well, there we go. We <laughs> have very similar perspectives there. Yeah. So They are what the children call mid. <laughs> yes. I guess we don't Not bad. To go into that i mean i agree what you said about tale of the phone please yeah, um, and i i get the doll maker you must love the tale of the guardian's curse because i haven't heard about that yet okay what's but your I, number 10 fine. okay breezing through this list army the <laughs> tale of and this reflects nothing on the storytelling the tale of the curious camera mm. yeah damn so back-to-back betty ends for the <laughs> the list yeah yeah so what about it what didn't you like or what did you like and didn't like like that in general it was a unique idea um i didn't like what put it so low for me is the idea is cool Mm -hmm. the idea of of a of a camera you can't get rid of that takes pictures of doom is cool it's just the mechanics being so weird of it really put it down for me like Sometimes it'll take a picture on its own and mess everything up. And then other times it won't and it'll, you know, you'll be able to defeat it. And there's no consistency there. And that's kind of just what brought it down for me. It wasn't fun enough of a concept for me to like ignore that inconsistency where the camera's alive and has a mind of its own until it doesn't. Okay. Okay. I also didn't connect to the main characters that much. Like, eh. Hmm. I don't know. I felt like, okay, well, I'll talk to it when I get there. My number 10 is the Tale of the Guardian's Curse. Okay, cool. Finally. Good. (laughs) That was your number one. I was going to get upset around here. I like the story. I thought it was cool. I like the whole um, single dad too, too busy with his work. And if there's one thing that you could just too into it's probably egyptian mythology and culture and anything from the past so i get it i i got the 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 perspective um imagine how much better it would be if he was played by brendan though (laughs) the um, the red herring that the mummy is causing the terror when it was actually their um you know the Mm -hmm. the father's friend was cool but the whole like he falls in love with the mummy because now, like, you know, she needs the ring and the elixir of life to, to look that great, right? Like, at some point, it's not going to be there. And yeah. You're essentially just married to a corpse, for lack of a better term. Hmm. <laughs> but that was my number 10. And I'm going to take the next one because my number nine is Tale of the Curious Camera. Nice. Okay. Similar reasons? Yeah, I liked it. I did like it, but I just felt there was better <laughs> stories. Um, there was 
Yeah, it was a season of strong stories. So. Yeah. Um, and the like, the idea of like it was also another twist, right? We thought it was gonna be the cam- camera takes pictures of the future of things, um, of disasters happening, but it turns out that the camera had gremlins that created the disaster. So that was cool. But dude, this guy made a list, a hit list. <laughs> That kind of mm-hmm. killed it for me. Um, I mean, I understand, but like you said, it's hard to connect. You know, like yeah, he was bullied that much. He was making a hit list, and like if you have that much power and you put it in the hands of like a thirteen, fourteen year old, I get it. But it wasn't strong enough for the rest of this list. Hmm. What was your number nine? Tale of the Quicksilver. Oh, okay. It was a good story. It, number nine had to be something. And it ended up being the Tale of the Quicksilver. That's pretty much why it's there. Nice. Um, <laughs> I just liked every other story after this more. Hmm. There's no real downside to that story. I liked the special guest star. I liked Frank's brother <laughs> being a big part of that episode. That was really like jarring and cool. So yeah, overall I like the whole episode. The little concept's cool. I wouldn't change much about it. Maybe give it some better special effects, but other than that, it was it was really good. Nice. Okay. I have no negative things about it. Yeah, it's just it it was a good episode. It's just there was better stuff. I get you. Yeah. So what's your number eight? Number eight is the tale of the midnight ride. Mm. Okay. The classic Sleepy Hollow tale. Yes. It gets the place it gets because, you know, it didn't reinvent anything. It didn't go crazy with the story, but it did a great job at telling the Sleepy Hollow Tale in a fun, you know, refreshing way. So it gets the middle tier, you know, gotcha. doing an adequate job. I agree. Also, you know, that scene where they killed Ichabod Crane was really <laughs> funny. They're like, yeah, go that way. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Keep your chin up. <laughs> yeah. It was really good. That's funny. My number eight is the tale of the Watchers of Woods. <laughs> number eight? Number eight. The weirdo in the woods gets number eight. It gets number eight. It was a good story. It was a good mm-hmm. story. I'm not gonna lie, but like you said, somebody had to take number eight. You know? It was mm-hmm. just it was always going to be in the middle of uh, of the pack. Okay. But I do I did like Sarah not being like a naive girl who tries to hang out with the popular people. Like she knew what she was going into and she had to just tough it out and did her best with a smile because that's the way she was raised. Kelly was a bitch and that's the way she was raised. And <laughs> but Sarah still had the, you know, let me go save Kelly. I like the story. I like the hags. But the Watchers could have been so much better. <laughs> it's called the Watchers Woods, not the tale of the hags. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. But I'm going to take over again because my seven was the tale of the midnight ride. There we go. And it's just because I love Sleepy Hollow. It was a good adaptation. The Ian, though, was very early 90s late 80s jim carrey like he just watched a bunch of jim carrey videos and just 
made his character that way. But besides that, that's true. Yeah, I remember that now. He was very Jim Carrey esque. Besides that, it was. Um, I did like uh, the story using. It's like a they're using the legend of Sleepy Hollow to tell the story, and I, man, I just love the Headless Horseman. That's it. <laughs> What's your seven? The Tale of the Crimson Clown. Mm. Okay. Crimson Clown itself was pretty scary, which puts it higher up on the list. They had the most unlikable little boy as the <laughs> main character, so that made it hard <laughs> to like. Um, Gary telling such a biased story would just seem a little off to me. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Like, it was interesting. But it just seemed weird for Gary to do. Gotcha. All right, what's his number six? The Tale of the Carved Stone. Ooh, that was high yeah. up there. It is pretty high up there, but I liked it. That's good. The Tale of the Carved Stone. I like it because I like Frank Gorshin. I like that he got work. I thought the his character was really intimidating <laughs> and weird and creepy. And it just got more scary the more things he could do, like change his voice at will and how he bullied Sardo. Sardo even showing up was magical. Nice. That puts it up higher for me. There was like little things that just kept making it higher and higher. Hmm. Like Brother Septim was like intimidating. That puts it up. Having Frank Gorshin, star power, come on. For me, that's a big star. That puts it up a little bit. Um, having a returning character, Sardo, beloved character show up in a gary story that puts it up a bit so it, it just had a lot of factors working for it nice um very creative story sure they could have done a lot more with that story but it was cool nonetheless it, it got you thinking hmm. and i think a sign of a good story is like if you keep thinking about it and what they could have done or like what they could do with that material so it, it had really good bones <laughs> that's funny because that that last part is why it was the last thing on my list. <laughs> so that he means... hates bones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so my number six, Tale of Apartment 214. Interesting. I really like this one. <laughs> 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 I really like this one. Um, yeah. Madeline was scary when she was like the light, the when um this girl walked into her apartment susan and um it starts like thundering and then you just see madeline show up why did you ditch me why didn't you show up and you're like oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> so but that twist yeah. deserves a good spot however i felt like it's like oh now she's just gonna live in that apartment forever like mm-hmm. the situation didn't really get solved yeah <laughs> you know like I felt like it could have been. I mean, we we came up with our ending of like, oh, it sh- it could have been, um, Susan deciding to visit her grave, put some flowers, and that kind of becomes like a a routine, and her soul rest um gets rest in peace, and she um they move into her apartment. At the end. Yeah, it was cool. And that's your number five. Yeah, that is my number five. 
just for the twist alone. I, I like that they went through the effort to draw and not draw, like write in a nice twist. Yeah. And it was um it was weird because it the ghost was wholesome in a way. It's just an old lady that wants company. And then it's scary when it doesn't get what it wants. So my number five is Tale of the Crimson Clown. That was really high. Yeah. yeah. It's not that high, though. I mean, it's just two spaces away. I liked it. I mean, the I know if I watch this episode again, I have to deal with Sam. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to deal with Sam. But Boy, it, Sam. Mm-hmm. But it does set up everything about, like, you know, the Crimson Clown coming in, punishing him. And the mad shit he talked, that's worth it in itself. <laughs> that's true. The, the shit talking clown is pretty funny. Yes. And I want that stuffed little clown. I want oh, uh, another reason it's going to be lower is like whenever there's a clown oh. and Zebo doesn't show up, it's always going to be, Technically, it's always gonna be a little lower. He did. <laughs> he did. He showed up in a video game. Yes, he did. So that that actually, you know, I I respect the number five place for that, just for that alone, the Zebo callback. I I probably should have put Crimson Clown at least one higher because <laughs> of that, but I I forgot about that until just now. But it was Krampus. It just it was Krampus. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they they're like, oh, uh, Santa's not gonna get you as a Crimson Clown. I was like, dude, that's Krampus. Come on. You had to do, instead of a horned demon, you had to do a nice little clown. It's Krampus before Krampus was popular, though. I guess. Tipster like that. I'm definitely telling my kids about Krampus. (laughs) I'm not even telling them about Santa. I'm just going to mention Krampus. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck, kids. (laughs) Bye. All right. The Easter demon. (laughs) The Easter Hmm? demon. To show him the movie Leprechaun every St. Patty's Day. Oh, I, cause I don't want to because then I have to watch Leprechaun. <laughs> uh, what was your number five? Or did we talk about that already? Tale of the Apartment, 2414. Oh, nice. Yeah. We talked about it, I think. Okay, so then what was your four? Uh, top four were really hard for me. Yes. But uh, the tale of the bookish babysitter. Mm. That's my number four. Gotcha. I really like the witch storyline. The crotchety old 55-year-old, 12-year-old was hilarious to me. <laughs> he was very grumpy and funny. Yes. Um, the story was really creative. It wasn't scary. So, like, you know, it can't be top three material, but, like, it was cool. It was funny. It was entertaining. And I got all that from it. Nice. My four is Tale of the Quicksilver. Okay. That's way higher than mine. Yeah. Nostalgia played a big factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the story instantly. I love the whole, the spoon is not steel, not silver. And then he pulls off his necklace. As much as shit I gave it for, it's because I thought about this episode so many, so much. I've seen it so many mm-hmm. times as a kid. So, of course, I'm going to pick on it. But it it brought me back. Brought me back. Once we get to the end and we do the awards for David and Kristen, I also want to ask, what's the scariest episode? Ooh, okay. Once we get to the end. All right, cool. Okay. So number three for me 
Again, these were all really difficult. Number three for me was Tale of the Dream Girl. Same. We finally did it. Yes, we did it. We got the same <laughs> yes. one. I love it. Yes. I love the Tale of the Dream Girl. It's super, me. super good. That hit me, man. That 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 yeah. got me in the core. I I recognize mm-hmm. the episode too, but like, and for your perspective, yeah. that was the first time you saw it. But I remember the episode, so I got to see the other things. Oh. Like the, and you got to know, and it, I think it still works when you know it's it's somehow better. Yeah, because the twist in it that he was dead the whole time and Sixth Sense hadn't come out yet, so this was a big deal. <laughs> it was like really well done. You just thought the manager was being a jerk to him, but he was actually being a great a <laughs> asshole to the sister. Yes, because <laughs> he's like, I don't have to pay for any mechanic because he's dead and nothing's broken down since he's died. Isn't that great? To the sister of the deceased kid. What a horrible man. And he like smiled at her and laughed. Oh, man. What a story. That That's some raw stuff right there. But what made it for me was that um, you predicted a succubus and I know you kept saying succubus every time we were like while we were watching this. And yeah. I'm like, yo, this could pass as a succubus. Like, I never thought of that. Like, yeah. this could be... Because here's the thing about this episode, right? My parents always told me, never pick up anything you find on the floor or find on the road, no matter how valuable it may look. And they never explained to me why. Just they're like, this, don't do it. Because it's succubus, right? But it's like, shit like this. Don't find shit. Don't find... Like, if you find, like, a million-dollar ring that looks super sexy on you and you put it on... It may never come off because some evil spirit shit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the like, and I, I could see how this episode could go that way. So I was yeah. like, oh, cool, cool. I like the brother and sister dynamic. I like that the sister just played this game to deal with her grief that he was still alive. Like she just accepted it. Yeah. Um, I like the way that you could rewatch this episode. And see how weird the boss is being and see how the mom is ignoring the other kid completely and being totally unfair. And I also like how it works the first time around where it's just like, oh, the mom's just, you know, a boomer who has double standards <laughs> for the daughter and not and son. And, you know, the manager is just being greedy and not paying him what he should be paying him yeah. and underpaying a teenager to do the work of a actual adult handyman who sh- he should pay like or not even like an adult like a team mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs> also like er- uh erica like she wasn't being selfish cuz she knew she had to slow play this mm-hmm. you know like she can't reveal everything to him he has to remember like slow and yeah she got to spend more time with her brother which was like you know you know, a win-win for her but mm-hmm. you could tell like she didn't like blurt everything out and make him remember everything she let him start figuring it out little by little which is good because it might freak him out and he might never find peace or whatever so yeah that's the dream girl What's your number two? What's your number two? The tale of the bookish babysitter. You're crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I not just, crazy. That's pretty good. The yeah. top four for me were all interchangeable. So. Yeah. This this was good. This is like to me, um uh it was it was creative. Like this babysitter who has you read a story and you're in the story and you have to fit like it could have been just that. You're in the story and you have to find your way out. No, like they took this lazy ass kid mm-hmm. <laughs> with like God knows how much money invested in stocks had just put down book after book because he was bored and that ended up fucking him over because now he's trapped in three stories and he has to come up with some ending and that was clever it was and it was cool i liked it. all right yeah. number one and two for me are basically the same thing oh yeah i just want that to be known they're like the same level i like them both okay Number two for me is Tale of the Dangerous Soup. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Tale of the Dangerous Soup is obviously a perfect episode. Super good. Mm -hmm. All right. Doctor, it's a Frank story. Only one he told. Dr. Vink showed up. I can't ask for more from Frank when Dr. Vink shows up. It was like a really cool tale. The chef storyline for Dr. Vink was super goofy and eerie. Dr. Vink ate up all the scenery, yes. stole every scene he was in. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Um, the fear mechanic was really cool. It just has this ancient Aztec temple thingy or whatever MacGuffin they used mm-hmm. to bring out the greatest fear in everyone. That was interesting. Frank messing with Tucker throughout the whole episode oh, was yes. a blast. Yes, I love that. Everything about it. Nev Campbell showing up. <laughs> Nev Campbell, the like queen of 90s horror movies, was there. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's the right title for her, but I think it is. I mean, she's <laughs> the scream queen. She is. That gave it, gave it a lot of extra points. Um, having like somebody who I remember fondly from the 90s, um, which is also why my number one is picked this way, because it has someone who reminds me who I remember fondly from the 90s mm-hmm. and early 2000s. But yeah, I love the Dangerous Soup. Cool. And I know your number one is. Tale of the Dangerous Soup. Yeah. Pretty much for everything you just said. And it was, yeah, it was the perfect episode. Yeah. Uh, and just that like little layer of like, he may have killed his uncle for abusing him. He might have. Yeah. <laughs> I like that mystery. He's a bad boy. Long hair. Yeah. All right. Interested in Neb Campbell. So he's probably a psycho. <laughs> he's the killer. He's the gargoyle the entire time. <laughs> no spoilers. All right. And drum roll. Jumbies number one is. The Tale of the Watchers. What? How come? I love the weirdo in the woods. <laughs> He's so weird and unnecessary. I had to pick it. Also, I love that they had Kaylee. Kaylee is the name from Firefly. Mm-hmm. And I love that actress. I like seeing her work in general. And she was in here. This is probably her starting gig. And I like that. Nice. Um, the hags were really cool. Very well done hags. I like that the hags had a happy ending. Didn't see that coming 
the watcher in the woods is the main reason i chose it because <laughs> it's just so funny and weird that, that five why does second, he exist that five second cameo they don't explain his yeah. backstory we get everything about the hags but He's... him none for all I know, he is the next reoccurring character. Like, I want him to show up again. Oh, man. That's funny. The only one I want to show up more than him again is Zebo, And that's it. I want to see Zebo come back, and I want him to come back. You know what? I lied. I want Bowstick to come back. But then after that is the Watcher's Woods. That's hilarious. The weirdo in the woods. <laughs> and it's a Sam story. Yeah. And I like Sam's stories. I think she's becoming one of my favorites. Me too. They give her the great stories. She did Dream Girl too. That was really strong. Yeah. All right. So what? My top three is dominated by two Sams and a Frank. Damn. Mine is Sam, Betty Ann, and Frank. That's that's pretty strong. Yeah. My fourth is Betty Ann. So come on, she's close. <laughs> um. Tucker, <laughs> Tucker's dead last for me. <laughs> he has two stories of dead last. Um, I guess the Midnight Ride got the middle, but you know he pretty much stole that. You know, when I was first making this list, Crimson Clown mm-hmm. was like top, like it's top five now, but it was number one for a little bit. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? These other ones, like I really like Bookish Babysitter. Mm-hmm. But those are our top thirteen for season three. Jumpy tail. Is the most David tale? Tell me. Nah, let's let's do Kristen first. Okay, fine. I know the answer, but what do you think is the most Kristen tale out of the ones? If Kristen was still here, she'd be like, "I like that story." I think we're going to disagree. I think but so too. Tale the doll maker. That's what I picked. Yes, I picked the tale of the doll maker. Agreed. Yeah. All right. The tale of the doll maker is obviously Kristen tale. Betty Ann went through the theatrics of bringing a doll with her, and Kristen would just appreciate that right off the bat. Yeah. I feel like she would have dressed up as, like, a porcelain doll. Yeah, that's what Kristen would do to go the extra mile. But Betty Ann did her best, and she bought a doll and brought it with her. Yeah. No. The most David tale is obvious. All right. All right, to anyone with a brain. Hope you agree with me. (laughs) I feel like we're... The tale... Of the Midnight Ride. That's a David tale for you? That's a David tale because <sighs> David rips off stories. Yes, he does. That's what yes, he does. He does. He That's why it's the tale. It That's what modern. he does. You're correct. But tale of the dream girl. Because you know he also has the emotional one. The shiny red bicycle? Come on. That he has break. that. But his storytelling's not as good as Sam's. He wouldn't be able to weave that story. Ah, but the shiny red bicycle. It's emotional. He always and the lonely ghost, that's emotional too. He uh, likes true. to uh, tug at the heartstrings. That is but true. you're very correct about the midnight ride. He would rip the fuck out of that one and tell the yeah. exact same story. Because yeah. he'd forget that he had the assignment and he'd be like, Oh shit. Well, this one's about um Dozy Hollow and he'd just make <laughs> up something. Yeah. All right. The most Eric story. <laughs> the Guardian's Curse, because it's my last one. Yeah. <laughs> Some stupid shit. Okay. And then which is the scariest one for you? Oh, man. 
it could have been Crimson Clown, cause, but that shit talking about the clown, like just got funny. It was just so great. I, I that's not scary for me. Um, two fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. The old lady did creep me out too. Yeah. Um, I'm still gonna say Crimson Clown, but two fourteen's like second for me. Like if I was Crimson a- Clown, clowns are just scary, but. I get what you mean. It like, was a little I, funny. I I would be afraid of that drum scare more from two fourteen than the build up of Crimson Clown. That's kind of true. Because Crimson Clown builds you up to that, but that shit talking was just so good. Mm, chef's kiss, mm-hmm. perfect. It was perfect. <sighs> but yeah, that was it. Was a good season. We got strong. Three Tucker stories. Three Betty Too many. Stars. Not enough. Two Kikis. Two Sams. Two Garys. And one Frank. Frank better have four stories next season. <laughs> Alright, so this season also f- had more of a story with the Midnight cast. They didn't just go in there and tell a story or like just say something that happened in their day that caused them to tell a story. They actually had yeah. like several kind of plots going on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was um, the introduction of Sam brought like a little love triangle between Frank and Gary. Now, Frank and Gary never got in each other's way of it, but they both did try to go after her in their own way. Frank was trying to be slick and get in there, you know, um, like just start shooting lines at her. Um, like she's like she's carrying logs and he's like, a woman shouldn't be carrying logs. Let a man like me and my cut off sleeves help you. Yeah. But Gary was like writing poems and stuff. Um, what else? We had the introduction of Tucker, who was just a pain in Frank and Gary's side. And mm-hmm. just being a little brother and being annoying, all that stuff. But they had a lot more to do. Yeah. They those actors earned their paychecks. Yes. They, they gave Betty Ann a billion stories and then cut her out of one episode. <laughs> Maybe they're like, We can't pay her, so this episode she's not coming. Yeah. <laughs> And then they doubled up her work. Yeah. But, um, so who do you think is going to tell the most stories? And who's going to, you think is going to tell the least next season? I think Sam's getting the most. She had a strong performance this season. Mm -hmm. So I think they're going to give her a lot to do next season. Okay. And I think the person who's going to tell the least stories next season is going to be. Kiki. Kiki. I, I have a strong feeling she's going to get phased out of the show, but I don't know. Um, I don't know why I feel that way. I just, I feel like she, they, they don't give her enough to do <laughs> in this season. So I just feel like she's not sticking around. They give everyone else more to do than her. Okay. I don't want it to be true. I like Kiki, but. I think Sam's going to tell the most stories, but I think. Um, Gary's gonna say the least. Gary? Yeah. 
because he gets shy. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. So that's it for season three. Next mm-hmm. time you hear a podcast from us about Are You Afraid of the Dark, it's going to be season four. And we get a two parter Tale of the Cutter's Treasure. Ooh. And Jumby predicted there's going to be two storytellers, which doesn't make sense to me, but I talked myself into it. There's two episodes. <laughs> uh, one person could say two episodes, okay? But I envisioned an episode with Sado and Dr. Vink. So I knew Frank that. Frank and Gary. <laughs> yeah. So Frank and Gary. And now that I realize Sam is like becoming one of the goats she should i wish it was like sam and betty that would be fucking great like a heartwarming kill your like like scare you to death story Mm -hmm. if they wrote together it would be insane Hmm. sam would get the themes and the twist perfectly betty ann would just get the nightmare fuel it'd be perfect perfect tucker and gary would be a cool duo tucker and gary yeah Gary will rein in Tucker's more eccentric plot lines. Or maybe he'll add to it because he loves that wackiness too. They just create the most insane Whovian episode anyone's ever seen. Yeah. And then you get yeah, Frank and Kiki could be a cool one too. Kiki's yeah, that would be, be cool. Kiki's stories could be scary. Kiki's more of a solo artist. Yeah, that's true. But that's it. Kiki and Tucker. <laughs> oh, It'd just be a bickering duo. Yeah, they can never agree on this fucking story. Whoever the characters are are gonna be fighting the whole time. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see what the cutter's treasure. Tale of the cutter's treasure. Jumpy predicted Frank and Tucker. I predicted Gary and Frank. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Nothing says Sado can't be in a Tucker story either. Sorry, Sardo. <laughs> so But that's it. That's season three. That's our wrap up. Any last any words? predictions oh. or before the last words? Any predictions for major character reappearance appearances? Like Vink or Sardu. I mean, definitely those two in the Cutter's Treasure. That's my prediction. You think they're gonna show up? Yeah, I think they're gonna be in the Cutter's Treasure. What? Yeah, that'd be so wild. <laughs> That's my whole thing. It's a Frank and Gary story, and it involves Vink and Doctor. And um, Dr. Vincent I think at some point next season, the Watcher's coming back. I wish. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Hello, Jummy. <laughs> <Be amazing. laughs> I have Eric. <laughs> Why don't you think we never talked about him again? That's That's we funny. never even gave him a goodbye. For real. We just never talked about his ass again. Never even replaced him. No, they didn't have to. He doesn't exist. <laughs> he got eaten by like whatever that story he told. It was like a leprechaun or something. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. Any last words, Jumbi? Welcome to my woods. <laughs> and to season four. Welcome to my woods into season four, indeed. Mm-hmm. And that concludes another episode of Phantoms of the Silver Screen podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out any other content we may have provided. Please give mm-hmm. us a like, subscribe, follow, anything to show us that you love us. Because you know what? Ooh. We love you too. 
and we mm. love you very, very much. Mm. Bye. <laughs>